Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. So, for this morning, we have a wonderful couple that's a part of this church. Cliff and Tracy Kazakowski. I said that right, right? Good, I, I got it right. I'm Polish. I should know Polish names really good. Anyway, uh, they're going to come and speak to us about the tough talk today that we're talking about addiction. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, it's a real issue in our culture today. And I believe we have people that God has called, assigned, and commissioned to ministering to those people that are caught in the web of that bondage. But yet at the same time, the church is responsible. We have a role to play in reaching those that are addicted in different ways. And, and I believe, you know, Cliff, he's served, uh, he retired actually from Portage County Sheriff's Department. Uh, he used to pull people over, write them tickets, all that stuff. You might have met him at some point, and <laughs> hopefully not, maybe not. And uh, Tracy uh, also has worked law enforcement. She's actually a detective for the Marathon County. Um, investigator. Investigator. She's an investigator. I have a joke for that, but I'll, I'll spare that. <laughs> what, what do you call an alligator who's a, de- a detective? An investigator. Okay. Okay, you got that one. <laughs> Yeah, that's my joke for today. But let's welcome Cliff and Tracy as they come. They're going to share a little bit about their personal testimony and then what they do and really share the heart of God on this tough talk. Amen. We love you guys. Well, good morning. So we just want to start off by thanking Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb for giving us this opportunity to talk with you. Um, For far too long, we feel like America has been silent on issues that we need to talk about and we need to keep talking about. So thank you so much for being willing to give us this opportunity to speak about this from this platform. We just want to start in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for your presence here. We thank you, Lord, that your word does not return void. And so we ask that it would go out and accomplish that what you want it to accomplish. We ask that you would remove Cliff and I from this, and Holy Spirit, that you would just come and minister to your people. We acknowledge and thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Cliff will probably sit, and I'll probably stand, because I just like to stand. Um, A little bit about Cliff and I. We are a blended family. Um, We will be married 20 years in January, and we have 14 grandchildren. So a little bit about my work history. Um, I started off for the Menominee Falls Police Department as a police aide and a dispatcher, and then I moved to Portage County. Um, and served at the Portage County Sheriff's Department 11 years in the jail, the last seven as a supervisor in the jail. And then I just kept feeling God calling me to more, more than just closing the door and turning the key. Um, And I applied and got a position as a probation and parole agent, which I was for 17 years, um, and felt like there was still more. I'm currently working as an investigator for the Public Defender's Office, 
uh, for the state of Wisconsin out of um, Marathon County, as Pastor had said. And I'm going to school. I am in my last year of my master's degree to become a licensed clinical social worker. After I finish my degree in May, then I have 3,000 hours to do that. But just God moving in my heart to just come alongside people. Um, and now, you go. Yeah, well, I, uh, after high school, I went into the Marine Corps. And, oh, how's that, better? Okay. After high school, I went into the Marine Corps. Semper Fi, Dave, wherever you are. Uh, anyway. And uh, when I came back, I uh, started working with my dad. He was a home builder, and he was about to retire. And my brothers are going to go on their own, and I didn't know enough about home building to, you know, be a contractor. So I went to the paper mill, and I applied, and the next day I was working there. And it was a great job. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And I don't know, I guess I'd been there about a year or so, and my cousin was on the sheriff's department, and he told me, he says, hey, they're hiring four guys. It's a fun job. You, you get to drive a car fast and carry a gun and do all kinds of exciting things, and it's, it's uh, kind of neat. And you can retire at 52. And I said, oh, you can retire at 52. I like that. So anyway, long story short, I applied and uh, put 32 years in on the sheriff's department and retired as a lieutenant, and I've been retired for quite a while now. Yeah, I like it. So my testimony is this. I was raised um, Lutheran, went to a Lutheran parochial grade school, and then I went to a public high school, Milwaukee Tech, um, downtown Milwaukee, and um, I tried various churches after uh, my first marriage and just really didn't feel connected and kind of went away from the faith. Um, as, you, as I said, I was married. We had two children. I had just had our second children um, when I realized that he was having an affair. And we went to counseling and tried to work out the marriage. Um, and then he abused the boys. Um, and we tried to work through counseling, and that didn't work. So <clears throat> we were in the process of divorce. Um, he took a 10-week parenting class um, at Health and Human Services, and they gave him the children back. Um, I was working shift work on Christmas Eve one night. And prior to that, I think, like, one thing in the Lutheran, I wouldn't say that I had a relationship. I had religion. And... Um, one thing that was really meaningful to me was that they always had a Christmas Eve candlelight service. And so that whole week, like, I just felt, like, drawn to the Christmas Eve candlelight service. And I hadn't really been going to church anywhere. Um, and my husband at the time had the children, and the agreement was that if the children wanted to come home, that he would meet me immediately, and the children would come back in my care. And so I had called the children to check in with them. And the oldest one said, Mama, I want to come home. I want to come home right now. I said, okay, buddy, put your dad on the phone. And so he put his dad on the phone, and he was like, nope, he's fine. And then my son got back on the phone and said, no, Mama, I'm fine. Um, well, let me tell you that you don't mess with a mama and her children. And um, I had um, obviously a lot of anger and unforgiveness um, and resentment, and I will tell you that um, I loaded a gun to go get my children. <clears throat> and um, I went back home, and I got the gun, and I was going to go get them. 
And uh, you can imagine the things that were going through my mind. Obviously not rational. Um, and instead I decided I felt this strong pull to go to church on Christmas Eve. And I walked in there, and I don't remember seeing, talk. I didn't talk to anybody. I just walked in, and I sat down. And I feel at that point, the Lord lifted that from me. Um, and I would like to say at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to dig into this relationship with the Lord, but I didn't. I just went about life, you know, that, that heaviness, that intense stuff comes off you, or you get like this break, like, okay, this is fine, and then you just go about life. And uh, Cliff was hunting out of state, and his cousin's wife um, had died, and the funeral um, was happening while he was out of state. So... Obviously, this is long into the story. Uh, Cliff and I met in jail, actually. <laughs> People really look at us like, huh? Try being in a grocery store and the children asking mom, like, do you have to go back to jail tonight? So, um, which people really judge and look weird at you. We'll get into that. Um, so long down the road, Cliff and I were married. Um, his cousin had died. He was out of town hunting. Um, and I felt like I should go to the funeral, and w I went to that funeral, and the pastor said that you could have a relationship with God, and I was like, what? I thought I was just like, show up and do your duty, like, what? I can, what? Nobody has ever told me that before, and so um, that began our pursuit, 20 years of, of just getting to know God more and surrendering to him. Right. Um... Yeah, we met in jail, right? Anyway, uh, I was born and raised in Stevens Point, and uh, like I say, I went went to the Marine Corps. My brothers had been in the Marine Corps, so I went to the Marine Corps and went to Vietnam, came back, and you know, even in high school, I started drinking. Well, when I came back from Vietnam, I even started drinking more, and we just did it. And it wasn't, uh, you know, you don't start out drinking to be an alcoholic. Or to have it be a problem in your life, it was fun. I, when I was in high school, my buddy across the street, I guess we were teenagers, I don't know, 14, 15, whatever it was, we started drinking together. And all the stupid things that he didn't think of, I did. So we were two pieces in a pod there. And uh, I'll try to make this halfway short. Anyway, uh, like I say, I, I joined the sheriff's department. I was working there, and, and I drank. I went to parties, you know, and... and you go to a wedding, you drink. You go to a party, and you drink. And it just kind of sneaks up on you. It's, it's like cunning, baffling, and powerful. And it was getting worse and worse. And I ended up getting divorced. I don't, it really wasn't because of the drinking, but when, when, it, when that happened, then it was the heck with it. I let her flicker. I, was, I remember working 2 to 10, get done working at 10 o'clock, and go to Joe's. The guy that owned the bar was... Uh, Guy I was in, went to high school with and was my neighbor, so that's what I did. And it was, you know, I was having fun, except it started getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, somewhere along the line, I, uh, you know, I, I knew I had a problem, but I didn't want to admit it. But like they say, denial is not a river in Egypt. And everybody, I think, likes to do that. You, you like to say, yeah, it's not a big problem that it is. So I was working night shift, 10 to 6. 
And at that time, we worked a week on and a week off. So I was going to prove to myself that I wasn't, didn't have a problem with alcohol. So every, for a whole week, week on nights, I never had a drink. Of course, the day I got off at 6 o'clock, I started partying because I was so happy that I didn't have a problem. You know, st stinking thinking, that's, that's what they call it. Anyway, the buddy that I uh, used to hang with all the time, he was in Madison and he was working as a counselor. He had gotten sober about a year or so before I, and so I talked to him. I got a hold of him. Well, once he got his claws in me, that was the end of it. He wasn't about to let me go, and he got me down to Madison, and I went through an assessment, and then they did another assessment on me. And they came back, and he says, well, not only are you an alcoholic, you're a flaming alcoholic. And believe it or not, that was kind of a relief. I knew it, I knew it was the truth anyway, but somebody else told me that. And so that made it great. I started go to AA meetings. I remember the first meeting I walked into, I, boy, I was just about 110 degrees, and I was all hot and nervous. But I tell you what, it really got better right along. The AA program is a, is a God-based program, basically. And as I was going into the program, it's a 12-step program. And the third step is you made a decision to turn your will and your life over to care of God as you understood him. So they used to call me Third Step Cliff because that's what I hung my hat on. And I was, you know, I went to grade school, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. I was a senior in high school, still serving Mass, so I knew who God was. I didn't have a, quote, relationship with him, as Tracy was talking about. But religion I had, and I knew who God was, I knew, and I knew he was good. So it was easy for me to get a hold of him. And there's another step in the program. It's, it's um, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact, or God, uh, contact with God, asking for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. And those are the two steps that I, I use mostly to maintain my sobriety. And it worked. You know, there's no human power that could have done it, <clears throat> but God could and would if he were sought. So, and you've got to ask. It's a, you know, he gave us a free will. Uh, we, we got the choice. We can take a drink or not take a drink. And like, there's a lot of little cliches that they had in the program with one day at a time and first things first and the first thing is important is your sobriety. You have, excuse me a second. You have to maintain your sobriety, and everything else falls into place. Uh, there's just, you know, there's, there's hope if you got a problem, and it just kind of sneaks up on you. At least it did for me. And, but now I've been sober 40 years. It's great. So... I'm glad you're all cheering for Cliff's sobriety of 40 years. But what are, what are your thoughts if he told you he was still struggling with alcohol abuse? Or what if he struggled with marijuana use? How about meth? Heroin? Ecstasy? Mushrooms? Or any other substance? How would you feel towards him then? What would you say to him, or would you just avoid him? What if he decided he didn't want to quit right now? Would you turn your back on him, or would you choose to stay connected to him? 
After working for more than 32 years in some aspect of the criminal justice system, there's some things that I heard repeated again and again and again. And I also worked with people in the church. And these are the things that they would say, that they would never go to church for help because they felt that God would strike them dead. They felt that they had sinned so bad that God could never forgive them. They couldn't forgive themselves. But the biggest thing that they felt was that they would be judged, that everyone in the church would look down on them. They didn't feel it was a safe place. I want to tell you that refuge is a safe place. Refuge is a place where we believe in coming alongside you, no matter what your struggle is. Do you know that many parents and spouses that have a loved one struggling with substance abuse also feel judged? And if you are or have struggled with alcohol or substance abuse, and you've been judged or shamed, Cliff and I want to say this. On behalf of the global church, we are so sorry. We are so sorry you've not felt like you were loved well. We are so sorry that you have felt alone in this journey and something that you need to hide. We, have, we are sorry that we have not come alongside of you and reminded you of your value and your worth. Please forgive us for any of you that have been wounded in that way. For whatever reason, we ask for your forgiveness. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no condemnation. God is not the author of shame and guilt. Satan is. And we have to understand that his voice is louder in the ears of those that are struggling in a stronghold. They need us to speak the truth. They don't need our judgments, our looks, our head shakes. The Lord is not condemning you. It was for freedom that he set you free. Freedom to not hold your past over you, but to be free from it. And listen to this. It's not necessarily what you've been freed from. It's what you're free to become. Right? Your identity is in Christ. It isn't in your past. It isn't in your choices. It isn't in your behavior. It is in Christ and Christ alone. It's the enemy that doesn't want you to forgive yourself. It's the enemy that keeps pointing that finger there. Not the Lord. Accept his forgiveness today. You are forgiven. There is no condemnation. See, we see this demonstrated by Jesus when the woman who committed adultery was brought before Jesus to be stoned. Okay, I'm a woman, so I wonder where the man was, but that's another topic, right? So in John 8, he said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Everyone left until it was just Jesus and the woman. And he asked her, woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No, she said. Then Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your sin life. You see, he's a good, good father. He demonstrated his love and compassion. He displayed his goodness and kindness. Please hear this. It is the goodness and kindness of man that leads to repentance. I mean, it's the goodness and kindness of God, excuse me. The goodness and kindness of God that leads man to repentance. Guess what? It's my goodness and kindness. I, I am Jesus with skin on. You are Jesus with skin on. I can come alongside anybody with his goodness and kindness, with his love and compassion. How will they ever know him if we don't display that? How should the church respond? Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Cliff and I don't believe in tough love at all because tough love to us means disconnection. Tough love means turning your back. We believe in loving well. And yes, that means with boundaries because boundaries help you love well. And it is not our love. It is with the love of Christ that we love. If you just love those that love you back, the Bible says that's not love at all. Here's a command for all of us. When asked which is the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus replied in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 35, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How would you want to be loved if you were struggling? Oh, well, I never, I never. You know, uh, to just give you uh, just a small sample of what people are struggling with in addiction, what is that one thing that you've tried to stop? And you can't. And you keep going back. That gives you just a small understanding. Well, I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get how they can do that at all. I don't get it. I do. Do you know how many times I've tried to start eating healthy or exercise? Right? What's your go-to? Kindness and compassion. Treat them with empathy. Try and understand. And, and you know what? We can't cure it, um, but we can, we can add to it by keeping them trapped in shame and guilt, not coming alongside and giving hope, not reminding them of, of their worth and their value. They need others to love them through it, encourage them through it, and stay connected to them. Did you know that individuals that have loved ones trapped in addiction 
pray for others to reach out to their loved one? Because oftentimes, a close family member cannot be that person. And you wonder, where is the church? They need others to love them through it, pray them through it, encourage them through it, and stay connected. Listen to this. The opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. Satan likes to isolate and pull them out because guess what? That is the only thing they're hearing then is the enemy's voice and the shame and the guilt and everything over and over again. They are isolated. We need to grab on. We need to stay connected. The opposite of addiction is connection. And we all need to hear the truth in the midst of the hard. But you know what? If you don't have a relationship with somebody, you can't speak the truth in love. Yeah. yeah, uh, Like Tracy said, connection, that's so, so important. And that was one thing that was really great about the AA group because, well, first of all, we're all in the same boat together. But we cared about each other, and we encouraged each other. I, there was a, when I first started in a program, there was a guy from Rapids, and Lord forgive me, I can't remember his name even. But he gave me a coin. One of the first meetings I went to, he gave me a coin, and it said, call your sponsor before, not after. And there was, before you take that drink. And I still got it in my pocket. I never called him. I never had to. But... He was also available to me, and that was a big deal. And another guy, that he happened to be from Rapids as well, uh, name was Carl. He must have been about 110, I think. I don't know. He was really an old guy. He'd been in the program for a long time. But Carl was pretty cool because he, never, he didn't say a lot. But when he said something, everybody listened because it was a little gem. And after a meeting one time, Carl came up to me, and he told me, he says, you're going to make it. It's hard to say how much that meant to me. Just that little bit of encouragement. Just that little statement from one person. And that gave me so much hope and so much to hang on to. And that's why connection is so important. If we can connect with people that are struggling, and I don't care if it's alcohol or drugs or food or whatever it might be, pornography, there's so many different things out there that we have to battle. But if you can encourage them, and show them some love, and show them some honor, honor them for who they are. They're a child of God. That makes such a great, big difference. It really does. You know, in all my years of serving, I learned a lot from the individuals that I had the privilege, and let me say the privilege, to work with. And one thing that I always told them when we first met was, I am not better than you. I have issues in my life, too. I met them where they were at. I reminded them of their worth and value. Because let me tell you, Satan has diminished them to nothing. And that, I, I feel shame and guilt is a big thing that keeps them stuck in that cycle. And here's the deal. Why is it that in every other aspect of the world, like, we go after the casualties, right? Cliff was a Marine. 
Any, any other people in here that have served, thank you so much for your service. If you were on the field um, involved in any of the wars, you did not leave your fellow soldier behind. You did not. You went after them, right? We just heard the story, or maybe you heard the story, and I don't know if it was helicopter pilots or firefighters that in the, in the fires in California, like, dropped down. Everybody was like, don't do it. It's too dangerous. Don't do it. You know, it's, you could lose your life. You could be uncomfortable, but they dropped down in the midst of that fire, and they rescued those people that were stranded. Do you understand that we are in a war for souls? There's only, you, either, you either empower Satan or God in somebody's life, and it comes out of the mouth. It really does. We're in a spiritual war. There are many casualties, an intense battle for souls, and an intense battle for every single one of us to become all that Jesus paid a very high price for. And yet, we don't go after those as hard in bondage as we do in other, any other casualties of war or natural disasters. Do you realize, since there are many parts of, of, of the body of Christ, how much we are missing from individuals that are trapped in bondage and haven't become all that Christ has intended them to be? More than 24 million people are in active addiction in the U.S. And at least three other individuals are majorly impacted by that addiction. After checking with some professionals in this area alone, in one year, a professional had eight individuals die from addiction. Seven of them were alcoholism. The eighth was opiates. And another professional in this area in the last six months had five individuals overdose and die. That's right here. Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and that's two professionals. I cannot tell you how many countless individuals are overdosing and being brought back to life by a drug called Narcan. Today, 400 people will die from addiction. This is a very serious problem that we as a church cannot be silent on. We can't go in our home and close our doors. We can't shake our head. We can't turn away from it. We need to get educated on addiction. And some people say, just stop. But please know that just stopping could end someone's life. Because for some substances, they need professional help in stopping. There's also chemical changes that happen in the brain that drive their choices. I will tell you this, confrontation does not work. Collaboration is the best thing. Ask questions of them. Don't tell. What do you want? What are your goals? How can I help? Manipulation, fear tactics, threats, they don't work. Remove the shame and blame. 
Remove the stigma from our conversations. Remove the labels. We are all made in the image of Christ. Find the gold in them. Call that forth. Speak life and hope. You know, if you think of your spirit man as a balloon, when you speak God's word, when you speak life, and in and, and all of our years, we couldn't speak, like, here's a scripture, but we said it anyway. Look, you got intense value and worth. You know what I did to their spirit man? I started to blow that balloon up. Oh, you're just this, and you're never going to change. Guess what happens to that balloon? And Satan jumps all over that. Speak life. Call the spirit forth by coming along and blessing. So you see all these years of working in the criminal justice system? God used it to break our heart for what breaks his. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. I have never met a single person that said, when I grow up, I want to be addicted to drugs or alcohol. That's my goal in life. I never met a single person. I met a lot of people dealing with a lot of trauma and a lot of hurt and a lot of wounds. Or, like Cliff said, I was just having a good time. It's not what's wrong with people in most cases. It's what happened to them. And I'm not making excuses for the choices that they make. They know there's plenty of consequences with that. But I want them to know that there's freedom. Not just from what they're struggling with, but freedom to become all that Christ intended them to be. You know, they believe the the lie that the enemy told them. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Just, just take this or do that drug and it'll be better. You won't have to feel. Here's the other scripture, scripture that God spoke to Cliff and I, but I believe it's a church to the entire, a, a charge to the entire church. Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's the charge of every one of us, every believer. How awesome of a God to utilize every one of us. We are in a war for souls. Engage in the battle. And I will tell you this, if you find yourself struggling today, our God 
is a redeemer and he is a restorer. And there is hope. People recover every day. Every day. I just want to say, whatever you focus on, that's what you empower. So focus on the good, on the person. Step, step alongside of them. Give them a hand. If you're having a problem, make a choice. Think about it. Make a choice. That's all it takes is a choice. Just ask and you shall receive. You know, God could and would if he were sought. And that's for anybody. It doesn't make what you're suffering from or with, dealing with. He works. He can do it. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you that you are our redeemer and our restorer. Father, we just release right now, we just break off any condemnation that anybody has felt, Lord, both in, in the service today and in online. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free free to become all that he intended you to be. And we bless your work in each one of our lives, Lord. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Help us to love as you love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Cliff and Tracy. There's such authenticity in what they shared. And, you know, you think about people that have served their whole life career in a particular field, and yet because they embrace the heart of God for those they serve, they've not become cynical, they've not become critical, but they've been empowered to really truly help those that they encounter within their career, and that's a, a huge testimony, and it's, a, it's a, an honor to who you are as, an in, as individuals and, and serving in our community. So thank you for serving. Praise God. Let's give them a, another hand. As we prepare to close this service, um, when we were meeting in the green room prior to the service and we were praying, the Lord gave us a word that today in the service, the Lord was going to lift condemnation off of people. The scripture that was shared this morning, that Tracy shared, Romans 8.1, says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's, that's a qualified statement, but you need to understand what condemnation is. Condemnation is a condemning sentence against you. You're condemned. There's no hope. There's no help. There's no answer. There's no solution. But Jesus lifts that condemnation off of people through the work of the cross and what he did for every human that's ever lived and ever will live. But what's interesting there's a vast difference between condemnation and conviction because conviction is the Holy Spirit's work to draw you closer to God, to come to a place of repentance, to a place of surrender, to a place of yielding your heart and life to Him. 
Well, condemnation is what the devil uses. It's his tool to drive you away from God. Condemnation will cause someone to run out of the church. Conviction will cause that same person to run to the altar to meet God. I want you to stand at this time and and we're going to extend an invitation. If there's anybody here that has not made a personal commitment of your life to Jesus, Clifford, Tracy shared with us how they had a personal encounter with God. Jesus will make himself real to you. You can enter a relationship with him and have an encounter with him where you can experience his love, his forgiveness, and really come to know the true heart of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes to the Father but through him. He's the mediator. He's the one that bridged the gap that separated us from God. In fact, Jesus is God in the flesh. He came to dwell among us. He went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. And he raised from the dead to give us life, forgiveness, and freedom from the bondage of sin. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission statement for you. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We see that in John 10.10. I want you to bow your heads at this time and I want to extend an invitation to you. Maybe you're dealing with addiction. Maybe you're dealing with that sense of loss of identity, failure, condemnation, that you're damaged goods, that you can never change, that you're hopeless. Jesus wants to meet you now. And for those of you that are here and you've never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, I want to extend that invitation to you. Or maybe you've drifted from him and and you want to reestablish a right relationship with God. If, If that's you on either one of those counts, I want you to lift your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know I don't know Jesus like I should. And I'm willing to open my heart to him and give my life to him. Thank you for lifting those hands. It takes a lot of courage to do that because you're admitting your need for Jesus in your life. And that's what begins when God can begin to do a phenomenal work in you to transform you from the inside out. For those that lifted your hands and others that are standing here today, please repeat this prayer after me. And we call this prayer a believer's prayer. A prayer that we express our faith, our belief, our trust in God, inviting Jesus into our life, into our hearts. So repeat this after me. Jesus, I acknowledge I need you. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you came to die for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me life. Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I receive you now. Jesus, I believe you are raised from the dead and you are the Lord of glory. 
Change me and make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name. Now talk to him in your own words. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray today for anyone here that's dealing with any form of addiction in their life. Whether it be drugs, alcohol, pornography. Father, whatever has hold and held them in bondage, every stronghold. Father, we declare every stronghold broken in this place. Every stronghold broken in this place by the authority of the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we look to you in the power that's displayed through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Let us encounter that power now. Addiction, we break your power by the authority of Jesus' name. You leave, you go in the name of Jesus. We're going to worship God right now and we're going to invite you to join with us. And the prayer team is going to be up here after the song. And anyone needing prayer, we're going to invite you to come and receive prayer. For those of you that lifted your hand to receive Jesus, we invite you forward. We are here for you to help you to encounter Jesus, to experience what he alone can do for you. Thank you so much, Cliff and Tracy, for sharing with us this morning. This message is so important, and I trust that you heard what the Spirit of God is speaking to the church. Amen? Ask yourself, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Maybe some of you need to be more of an advocate than an accuser to reach out and encourage others and speak life rather than death. God bless you. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.